0: Listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. So it was predicted that over 110 million people were going to sit down and watch the Super Bowl here this last weekend. It's a staggering number, and the very reason companies are willing to pay that $7 million to air a 30-second commercial. Probably money well spent in the big picture. Today, we're going to dive back into the Crush mailbag to answer questions from the Crushers. There have been some great questions, comments, feedback, and yes, even those smart remarks, which I love. And with the spectacular wrap-up to the NFL season that we all just witnessed here, we're going to kick today's show off with a football question that came in from Kevin. But before we get to that, we have to quickly talk about the Super Bowl. I love the Super Bowl. As a sporting event, the NFL has it down like nobody else. I think a lot of this has to do with the game format. The teams play once a week and they battle through the entire season for the right to play in one of sport's biggest and most watched events, the Super Bowl. In the US, the Super Bowl is king without question. And when it comes to television viewership, it is unparalleled. Other than the Apollo 11 moon landing, which registered somewhere between 125 and 150 million viewers, the Super Bowl holds eight of the top 10 most watched broadcasts in US history. America loves their football, but in the big picture, as of 2023, research shows that the Super Bowl globally falls into a different spot in terms of sport popularity. As of 2023, if we were to look at the 15 biggest sporting events on planet Earth based on viewership, number 15 would be the NCAA Final Four with 14.7 million viewers. Major League Baseball's World Series came in at number 14 with 14.73 million viewers. At 13 is the Masters with 15 million viewers. The Kentucky Derby had 16.6 million viewers. And the World Cup of Rugby had 17 million viewers. I thought there would be more people watching the World Cup of Rugby, but I was wrong. 17 million, and they come in at number 11 in the top 15. At number 10 is the NBA Finals. In 2023, they had 17.8 million viewers. At nine, Wimbledon, 25.6 million viewers. And then here we are at number eight. The 2023 Super Bowl last year was the most watched Super Bowl in Super Bowl history with 115.1 million viewers. A substantial audience to be certain. But it's not until we get to our next event, number seven, where we start entering the big leagues of sport viewership. Here, we jump from the Super Bowl's 115.1 million viewers to 450 million viewers who watched the UEFA Champions League final. That's almost four times more viewers than the Super Bowl, and that pales in comparison to what comes next. At position number six, we have the Olympic Winter Games. At position five, the Summer Olympic Games. And at number four, the Women's World Cup of Soccer, all coming in right around 2 billion viewers. A massive jump in global audience. At number three is the Cricket World Cup at 2.6 billion viewers. And at number two, the Tour de France. 3.5 billion people watch the Tour de France Granted, on any given year, the Tour de France is spread over 23 or 24 days, 21 stages in 23 or 24 days. So you're going to accumulate some serious viewership. A lot of those viewers are going to be repeat viewers. And it's a similar situation for the world's largest sporting event spread over about 39 days is the World Cup of Soccer that attracts over 5 billion viewers every four years. It's a staggering number that actually puts the nails in the coffin. If you were to ask what is the world's favorite or most popular sport, it is soccer or the beautiful game of football, depending on where you're from. But Super Bowl fans, you can rejoice. You are a serious contender when it comes to one-off events. You actually, you're unparalleled. Other than the Kentucky Derby, which came in at 16.6 million viewers, you crush all of the competition as a single day event with 115.1 million viewers tuning into the 2023 Super Bowl. It's a massive number and certainly one that's worthy of a top 10 placement in the world's biggest sporting events. Sport, it is a big deal. And back home here, we just put the bookend on what was a great NFL season and here at Crush Performance, we also had a great season. We just nailed the Crush NFL What to Watch list. If you're new to the show, at the start of every season, we announced the Crush What to Watch list. It's the teams, players, and storylines we're keeping an eye on for the upcoming season. It's not so much about who we think's going to win a championship, it's more like, let's watch this and see how it all rolls out over the season, and we do it for virtually every sport. And now, as we look back on this last NFL season, oh, we crushed it. When we look at our teams to watch this season, well, Kansas City, of course, was one of the top teams we were going to watch. Could they repeat was our question. Well, check mark there. Then we had the Bills. Could they finally punch a card in the big dance? And they came so, so close. It was actually fun to watch them battle through this season and get as far as they did. They're so, so close. Can they add those missing pieces for next season? And we were keeping a close eye on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, post-Brady. Could they keep it all together or put it together to be as successful without Brady as they were with him? He rolled into town and took them to the promised land, it seems. How would they perform? Well, fourth in the NFC, not bad. But I've got a funny feeling in Tampa, not good enough. And for very similar reasons, we've been watching the New England Patriots for a number of years. Well, since Brady left. The question for me, is Belichick just this incredible coach who can win regardless of who's there? Or is Tom Brady just that powerful? Or could it be it's the combo of Belichick and Brady, that incredible leadership and strategic mind from the sidelines Coupled with that leadership and the incredible skill on the field that made that team so great. Well, we watched with incredible interest. And while the Patriots were still okay, they were not great. From watching Belichick, Brady, and the Patriots, it would appear that a great player has the potential to impact a team more than a great coach. And then we have the Cleveland Browns. They have been the crush NFL team to watch since 2012 when the new ownership took over, what was by far one of the worst franchises in the game. It's been an up and down roller coaster since then, but they're finally putting it all together. And it's been so fun to watch. Coaching changes, GM changes, player changes. They have done everything you could possibly do to get to this point. And you guys all know that this is the stuff that fascinates me. How is it going to happen? What's going to be the spark and how long is it gonna take? All of these questions come into play and it's taken years. And it did take the Browns a while, but they landed in fifth place in the AFC this year. And Kevin Stefanski was named the NFL Coach of the Year. They're on a really serious trend, kind of like the 2015 Kansas City Royals, who were our team to watch in baseball for the longest time. They went from rags to riches, making it all the way to the World Series. So fun to watch. And now the Browns are in a similar position. They've course corrected, they've made some changes, and now they're gaining momentum. It's been great to watch, I'm not gonna lie. There has been a lot to learn there. Just watching how an organization can go from rags to riches, from absolute basement performance to now competing at the top of a league. It can happen. How it happens, a little bit different for everybody, but it's so interesting to watch an organization and a team put it all together and experience some success. This was a great NFL season without question, topped off by one of the best Super Bowls I can remember. Honestly, I can't wait for next year's kickoff. And on a final note, a football question from the inbox. Crusher, when you were working in pro football, what was your favorite position to work with? This from Kevin. Kevin, I think I spoke with you at one of the events where I was presenting. Thanks for the question. I think we talked a bit about that at that event. So when we stepped down from the Blue Jays and moved back to Edmonton, I was approached by the Edmonton Elks of the CFL. If I might be interested in coming in to help build their performance programs or athlete development programs, their strength and conditioning. And of course, I jumped all in. I'd worked with the football team at the University of Calgary where I did my degree. And when my wife and I moved to Edmonton, I helped out a lot with the University of Alberta Golden Bears football program. Loved it. Such a great, great sport to work and train in. Every position has its unique challenges. It was great. The quarterbacks were so much fun to work with. I mean, I just come from baseball where arm care is a huge, huge part of preparing for the game. The quarterbacks are very, very similar to the pitchers that I worked with for so many years. So the arm care and mobility and visual awareness for the quarterbacks, so much fun to train. For the receivers, I loved working on speed, uh, mental focus, and spatial awareness. Critical for that position. The defensive and running backs, all of the backs, brutal strength, incredible speed and power and quickness. Love those positions. And then you have the defensive line. Here, it's interesting because they do need to be strong. They need to be incredibly powerful. They have to have unbelievable mobility. But these guys also need to be creative. They have to find ways to get the job done. So even beyond the physical side, I loved working with the D-line. But I'm gonna say that the offensive line was probably my favorite position to work with. Just brutal, unbelievable strength, power, and lightning quick mobility. They had balance. And again, decision-making here is absolutely critical. I also loved working the technical, tactical side of this position, their footwork, their hand position, their body lean, their body position, and how they interacted with the ground. Critical. And of course, these guys were monsters. <laughs> They're giants. It was so fun to work with. I have a couple of pictures of me standing with the offensive line, and I'm like 5'10, 215, 220 pounds, maybe. And my daughters look at that picture and they go, Dad. You look like a little boy standing next to those guys. (laughs) And it's true. I did. These guys were monsters. Absolutely gigantic human beings who perform superhuman feats every time that ball is put into play. In fact, the one thing I pay attention to more than anything when I watch a football game is the offensive line. Bottom line, if they don't do their jobs well, the team doesn't have a chance. That's how important those guys are. Kevin, thanks for that question. I loved working in pro football, and I love the challenge of working with all of these athletes who needed to perform at their respective positions. They're all so different. And when you get the different positions, the offense, the defense, and the special teams, along with the coaching staff and the performance team and all of the support staff working together in sync, well, that's when you get something special, like the Kansas City Chiefs. And I guess it wasn't just the fact that it was football that I loved that entire experience so much. I loved working with the people, dedicated and committed people working towards goals and objectives. On that note, I had another great experience this last week. My daughter and I were invited out to a documentary shoot by a good friend of mine who's in that business. They do great work. And the very second we arrived at the location, we sensed, or at least I sensed, something incredibly special. We were among professionals. You could feel it. The whole scene was just very cool. Let me tell you an incredible success story. The setting was a training center. There was a track, there were weights, racks, bars everywhere, and it was after hours, so they had the complete run of the place. The facility lights were dimmed or turned off, and they had their area lights set up, which created a pretty cool setting where an athlete was busting out sprints on a stationary bike. We watched from a distance for a few minutes and you could just tell these were pros at work. The way they communicated, the way they moved around, the way they adjusted their equipment, the lights and the cameras and the items in the scene and in the background all under their control and put in the exact place they needed to be. They controlled the entire scene. These were true professionals. Okay, that's great. Stop pedaling and get off the bike on the right side and walk away into the background. This came from two guys standing off to the side, looking into a monitor. We walked over to where we could see the images on the screen and I'm telling you, it looked awesome. The lighting and the camera angle created a very unique scene. Then the athlete got off the bike and walked off into the background, disappearing into the darkness. I couldn't help myself. I said, that is a great shot. Everybody looked at me and I think they agreed. We wound up hanging out for about three hours, just watching these guys work and talking about how and why they were doing what they were doing. It was official. I was among 100% professionals at what they do. The director, the lighting guys, the camera guys, the producer, all masters of their domains. I loved it and so did my daughter who's just starting off in that industry. At one point, she was asking the director how he got his start in the business and if he went to school for it. And then something cool happened, a great story. He said, yeah, I did go to school, but I dropped out. He said he was in class one day early in his program. It was a fine arts class and they were talking about some of history's greatest creators. And he was bored out of his mind. And there was a moment where he thought to himself, would Da Vinci or Aristotle or Plato sit in a classroom bored out of their minds? No, he thought to himself. They'd be out there doing stuff, creating stuff, and just figuring it all out. He packed up his stuff, left class, and never went back. Now, he's directing and putting out incredible content. You might have watched some of his stuff on Netflix. I love this story. It makes me think of all of my athletes and the different roads they've traveled in getting to where they are. Not a single one is the same. The big message here, there are many different ways to achieve in sport, in movie and documentary making in life. A lot of it does depend on the individual, how that person learns, how they respond, how they perceive experiences and interpret information that's thrown their way. Try teaching everyone the same way or coach or train people in the same way. It doesn't work, at least not for everybody. It can't. Different people learn in different ways. Different people react and respond in different ways to new information, to stress, to challenges, to breakthroughs and successes. And much of how we learn and react is hardwired when we're young. Now, that's not that you can't change that later on in life, but we really are products of our environment. And then on the other side, we're greatly influenced by our genes. We're tall or we're short, we're strong, we're fast, we're built for distance, whatever it might be. Some people are comfortable with math and science and others are right at home under the hood of a car in the mechanic shop or others in the kitchen creating unbelievable food. While we're greatly influenced by our parents, our siblings and friends early in life, we're also greatly influenced by our personal abilities. And this is when we self-select into areas that we enjoy. And let's face it, that enjoyment is greatly influenced by the success and our ability to succeed at a given task. That's why we self-select into an area of interest. My sister is a great example here. Every Halloween, my older brother and I would go out at full speed until we were exhausted or until our parents shut us down late at night. We didn't care one bit about what we got, we just wanted as much as possible in the time that we were given. My sister is wired very differently. She would be happy with less, especially if she got enough of the candies that she liked. My brother and I would go out and do a round of the neighborhood, come home, change our costumes, and go out again so that people wouldn't recognize that they're giving us candy a second time. Sister, you coming out for round three, we'd say. She'd go, nope, I'm okay. I've got everything I want right here. Weird. But off we go, not thinking twice about it. We would get home much later and we'd dump our candy into a giant pile and we'd sit back and rejoice. My sister, however, would have all of her candies lined up and grouped together and everything was accounted for. It made it very hard to sneak the good stuff from her. I was busted many times trying to sneak the candies I like out of her Halloween stash. No, she was organized and detail-oriented right from the get-go. Now, she's a top shelf certified accountant working in major corporate finance. And I mean major. Looking back, it all makes sense. Early on, a talent scout or recruiter might have projected this career path for her. Then you have me. I never really had a plan. I had no idea what I wanted to do, had no idea what I wanted to go to school for, or even if I wanted to go to school. I don't think anyone could have predicted where I would have wound up down the road. I don't think it's possible. Maybe you might have said, yeah, he's going to do something in sport. It would have been a long shot maybe, but that might have been the closest. I simply reacted to my environment. I knew what I liked, sport, but I had no plan or idea of what I would or could do in sport. Yet now, some 40 years later, from that Halloween night as a young kid, sport has been my life. In fact, I just got my updated accreditation as a certified strength and conditioning coach through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. It's my 30th year. Who would have guessed? No one, including me. I wish I could share with you some of the stories about the athletes I've worked with and where they've come from and how they achieved greatness in their respective sports. Incredible. Here's what I can tell you. Not a single one is the same. And when I look at the extremes, well, this is why I really do believe that top performers can come from anywhere. Because they can, and they do. Just like that bored art student who drops out of school and goes on to be an incredible, well-respected director of movies and documentaries. (laughs) And that brings us to the questions from the crushers. That's you guys. Listen, I totally appreciate all the questions and comments we get from all around the world. And I'm proud to say that we answer every single message or question we get. And a lot of times your questions and comments steer the topics we present on the show. So before we dive in, let me just say once again, if you have a question or if you need help, don't hesitate to write in or message me on social media. We never share your name or your question, unless you're cool with it, we'll write you and ask. But if you do have questions or need help, I'll do my very best to get you that help. And if I don't have the answers, here's what I can tell you. I guarantee that we know somebody who does have those answers. Or if you have a topic you'd like us to investigate, let us know. I can't tell you how many times we've dedicated a segment or an entire episode to your questions. It's a true team effort. Now, down to business. From the Crush Inbox, a question sent in by Trevor. Crush, at one point you say you have your five priorities written in stone, and then you say every athlete is different and shouldn't be treated as such. Isn't that a contradiction? (laughs) Okay, listen, great question, and I kind of understand where you're coming from. So we do have our five top priorities for human performance, and they're lined up like this. If you listen to the show, you know this. Number one, rest, recovery, and sleep. Number two, nutrition and hydration. Number three, posture, alignment, range of motion around the joints. Number four is movement skills. And then number five is the brain game. They are written in stone. Listen, I will take an athlete out of sport or shut down technical and tactical training if those five things are not taken care of because nothing else really matters. You can't achieve your potential or perform your best if those things aren't in place. We spend so much time with every single athlete that comes into our programs, establishing these five priorities, so then we can get on to performance training. So Trev, listen, there are foundational things in human performance, right? We need to eat, we need to breathe, we need to pay our taxes. (laughs) I guess in society, that would be the three fundamentals. In sport, we have our five priorities, but listen, every athlete is different even here. Some athletes have a great cardio base or they have great range of motion and great posture. Some don't. Some might have unbelievable movement skills. Some might really have a handle on sleep and recovery. Every athlete is different even within these five priorities, but before we even attack in sport performance, we make sure these are taken care of. And once those are taken care of, we attack the sport and the athlete to enhance their performance in whatever endeavor it is they do. So there's not really a contradiction here. When an athlete team or organization comes to us, we make sure those five priorities are really well addressed. And then we start attacking those individuals based on their needs, based on the athlete parameters, their age, their sport history, their training history, their injury history, their growth and development. If they're a younger athlete, I wonder, could you be referring to like general programs for everybody? That is something we totally avoid. Though we have a similar strategy when we start working for an athlete, I don't think we have one program that is exactly the same for multiple athletes. However, when you get out into the sporting environment, there are organizations and programs that just have these sort of blanket, breadbasket, recipe programs that every athlete goes into. That is not an optimum situation for the athlete or for their future development. So we avoid that, that general just blanket programming for every athlete. That's like, plugging you know, square pegs into a round hole and apples and oranges and all that other stuff. That's where we might come into a contradiction, and maybe you've heard me talk about that before. But at the end of the day, there are hardcore fundamentals that have to be in place if an athlete's going to be successful in their sport, regardless of what their sport is. So Trev, I hope that answers your question clearly. We have a general checklist, I suppose, where we evaluate and figure out how we're going to attack that individual. That's how we do it anyway. And then we had this question from Stephanie. Jeff, thanks for the show. Your back from a broken heart story was an eye opener. Scary stuff. Sorry you went through that. Glad you're still with us. I carry aspirin everywhere I go now. She goes on, late last year, you had a show with a mental performance expert. I can't remember his name, but he said that athletes spend a huge amount of time thinking about the past and the future rather than focusing on the task. I totally understand this, she says. I was like that as an athlete. I still am, I guess. But now as a coach, how do we help our athletes break that habit? You guys never really discussed that. Okay, great question, Stephanie. In that conversation, I believe you're referring to Dr. Jacques Delaire of Performance Prime. You can go on to performanceprime.com and check out all of his great stuff. He is truly one of the great mental performance coaches out there right now. In that conversation, Dr. Delaire was sharing some of the findings he's had with his athletes over the years and some of the research that's out there that says we spend way too much time thinking about the future and the past especially when we're trying to compete or perform a task. The data shows that athletes spend about 30 to 35% thinking about the future, focusing on results. And they spend about 10 to 12% directed to fear of screwing up, thinking about what's happened in the past. And only about 50 to 55% directed to what really matters, the task they're trying to do. And that is a problem. Because if you're not focused on what you're doing, you're never going to be able to do it well. Thinking about the past and worrying about that screw up or that missed hit or that missed play or thinking too far into the future about, oh, I've got to do this or I need to get that result takes away from focus on the process. And that's why we say highly competitive people tend to focus more on the results. And that's why they're typically not as successful as their laid back counterparts. And I think we did talk about some solutions here, though it might not have been obvious. I'll have to go back and listen. But one of the most important things to do here is simply talk about that, the process, the idea that you know, worrying or thinking about what's happened in the past takes you away from what you're supposed to be doing right now, or focusing too much on the future takes away from what you're supposed to be doing right now. That conversation alone is more powerful than you might realize, but there are things you can do. And here's a cool story for you. I was just recently at a major sporting banquet. And one of the athletes that I'd work with way way back when he was 15 years old was getting a major award. He's on the doorstep of cracking into the professional ranks of his sport. He didn't know I was going to be there. He was on the agenda, so I knew that he was going to show up that night. But when he saw me, he ran over, crushed her and gave me a big hug, and we just started talking about his adventure through this crazy world of high performance sport. And it was a fantastic conversation. There were ups and there were downs, he said, there were trials and trials tribulations and there were major breakthroughs but the one thing he said that i thought was really cool he said through it all when things got tough there was one thing he went back to He said, Crusher, do you remember my first year at the academy? And I do, as if it were yesterday. He was a young 15-year-old who had never been in a weight room, never done any training, yet he was such a great athlete and player in his sport. I remember the first time in the weight room where we're introducing him to weight training. You know, his arms were shaking. He was uncoordinated. For me, it was just awesome to have a dedicated athlete that was a clean slate with no bad training habits or poor programming prior to arriving at our program. It was a really cool scenario. And I told him that. He said, well, do you remember the first classroom session we did in that first week you were there? I said, absolutely. I I remember it well. He goes, do you remember what we talked about or what you presented there? And I told him, no, I don't really remember exactly what I presented to you guys. He said, well, the first thing you did is you made us get out a blank piece of paper and draw two columns. In column one, you had us write down what we control. In column two, you had us write down what we don't control. He said he remembered that exercise being an eye opener for himself. He'd never done it before. But he also said that it immediately relieved some of the tension and pressure he was feeling in the game. Come on, how great is that? But he went on, he said he's used that exercise throughout his entire career when things got hard or when he ran into a slump or he was having hardships or couldn't figure things out, he went back to the drawing board. What do I control? What don't I control? And it helped him break through. And years later, he's now on the doorstep of competing at the highest level in his sport. I love this stuff. So Stephanie, listen, there are a number of things you can do to help your athletes stay in the moment and focus on the process. Some will resonate with some athletes, Others won't. You'll have to pick and choose. My theory is as you work with your athletes and grow with your athletes, expose them to different ideas and different concepts, something will resonate with them. And it's not necessarily going to be the same thing. This is a big part of the developmental process. Whether you're working with young developing athletes or seasoned veteran pros. We can nudge our athletes in the right direction here. It's a conversation that can happen often, and especially at those special critical coaching moments where there was a significant outcome, good or bad. Control the controllables. Love that question. And here's a question I wanted to address because we've been getting a lot of questions in this realm. Crusher, love the show. Big fan of the war on sugar. I know you talk about this a lot, but I have some elite athletes who are hooked on energy drinks. I've told them to stop, but it just doesn't work. How would you handle this? Energy drinks and caffeine. Thanks in advance, Jake. Oh, Jake, this is such a great, important and serious question. It's in the news lately, as a matter of fact. Uh, A few weeks back, there was an adolescent death associated with overconsumption of caffeine through one of these energy drinks. And in fact, there's a couple of countries around the world that are now banning certain energy drinks and the amount of caffeine they're providing in their countries. They're pulling them right off the shelves. So this is a very important conversation. And another reason we just love sports so much. It's a way to deliver messages that will impact our athletes in their sport for sure, but also in the bigger picture of life without question. One of those beautiful things. So let's start here. Caffeine is not energy and sugar is actually not great for performance. There are many forms and most aren't acceptable for athletes or sport performance, at least in our programs. Too much sugar can cause that massive crash. If you understand how the body works and responds to sugars, you'll know that consuming too much sugar at once or too much of the wrong sugar can be really bad for performance. So really general here, when we consume too much sugar or a lot of sugar at once, our body has to do something with it. It just doesn't sit around waiting to be used. Our body will convert it into a usable form, which is usually glucose. And that glucose either gets used as energy right away or it gets stored. It gets converted into glycogen and stored in the muscle and liver. And once that storage is full and it doesn't take much to fill up all that storage, excess glucose will then get turned into a lipid and stored in the fatty tissue. And it's a pretty efficient system. Here's the kicker though. You need to be burning a lot of energy to burn the amount of sugar that's in one of these typical energy drinks or sport drinks. And I mean, you need to be burning a lot of energy. And then here's the other kicker. Let's say you're competing in a sport and you have one of these drinks. Well, what happens is you have working muscles that are requiring energy, right? So there is some energy being siphoned and directed to the working muscles, but here's the other side of it. Then you get an insulin response that wants to store all the excess energy, pulling it away and putting it into the fatty tissue. Well, Now we have an internal battle for energy. We have our working muscles that are requiring energy. And then we have this biochemical response where our body wants to take all this excess energy and store it and get rid of it so it's not just floating around waiting to be used. And, It's bad for performance. It's bad for cognitive function. It's bad for neuromuscular function. It's bad for decision-making. It's bad sitting in a classroom. It's bad for music. It's bad for driving a car. It is a terrible place to be. So if you're not matching the amount of energy that's coming in with the amount of energy you require, and if your blood chemistry doesn't respond the proper way to whatever carbohydrate or sugar you're putting into the body, you could be in big trouble at the very least. Your performance will suffer. And that's a big problem. So that's the sugar side of it all. And it can be a disaster. But then we have the caffeine. And as I mentioned, caffeine is not energy. Caffeine stimulates the central nervous system. It doesn't provide energy. It can make us feel more alert and more awake, but it does not provide energy. And too much can often be a problem. Because it stimulates the central nervous system, you can get those jitters. And in a sport where fine motor movement or quick reaction times are critical, that can work against you. Not just that, but if you have caffeine sensitivity, you might be at risk for some of the more dangerous conditions that are associated with the cardiovascular system. So you need to be very careful. Caffeine sensitivity can't be changed. I am personally sensitive to caffeine. If I have too much, I get jittery and all wired and it's a terrible, terrible feeling. We've had athletes that feel their heart rates racing. They feel like their hearts are jumping out of their chest. Not a good thing if you're an athlete going into competition. That's caffeine sensitivity. But caffeine tolerance can change, and not in a good way. Caffeine tolerance is built up over time and can drastically change fairly quickly in as little as one week, which means to get the same feeling or the same effect, you're going to need more caffeine. Your body builds up a tolerance to its response to caffeine. And it has a lot to do with these crazy things called adenosine receptors, which not only affect your readiness, your alertness, and your awareness, but can have a drastic impact on your ability to sleep and hence recover properly. Caffeine creates its stimulation by blocking the adenosine receptors in our brains. And when we regularly consume caffeine, our brain adapts and changes to the environment and develops more adenosine receptors. So now we need more caffeine to block those receptors. Our body builds more adenosine receptors, and it's it's just turbulent, never-ending cycle until you're just worn out or you're chugging so much coffee, you never sleep and you're burnt out. It's an interesting and important conversation. We need to create awareness and education. And this is where we just simply need to talk about it. Parents and coaches, these are conversations you need to have. It's not so much about saying, no, you can't do that. It's about, here's the consequences if you do do that. And you don't need to be a biochemist or a nutritionist to have these conversations. You just need to talk about the amount of sugar we ingest and the amount of caffeine that are in the products we're using. So proceed with extreme caution and talk to your athletes about it. In fact, if you're a coach or parent, get your team or even your whole organization together and I'll do a talk on it. Like a webinar or a video call or something. Like maybe 30 or 40 minutes. But I'll just lay it all up for you guys. You wouldn't believe how many times I have this conversation with our developing athletes and even our pro guys. Honestly, it's just one of those important conversations that we need to have. And it's not just energy drinks, sport drinks, juices, soda pops, all the sugar that we take in, all the caffeine consumption. We just need to raise awareness and it leads to so many other great conversations. So honestly, if you run a team or organization, reach out. Absolutely no charge. This is a conversation we have to have with our athletes. It just needs to be talked about. So if you are interested, just write me info at jeffgrishel.com and we'll nail down a time to have a very important and interesting conversation. Questions from the crushers. I love it. So many great questions and we've had a lot. So many, we can't answer them all here, but know this, every question or inquiry that comes in, we answer. And you know what we always say, our job here is to get you guys thinking about things you might not be thinking about. And what I really enjoy is how you guys send in messages or comment on social media or have inquiries And you get me thinking about things that maybe I'm not thinking about or I haven't thought about for a long time. And again, as I mentioned, if we don't have the answer, I can promise you this. We know somebody who will. Over the years, I've just been able to connect with some of the best people in sport performance in every area of sport performance. So I love digging into this stuff. Keep them coming. And by the way, if we are going to use your question on the show, we always write to you to make sure if it's okay to use your name. If not, that's okay, but we feel these questions are important for so many of us out there that we need to talk about it on the show. So keep that in mind, and again, keep those questions coming. One more here, and I really like this one. It kind of goes back to Trevor's earlier question about our top five priorities. This one from Sammy. Jeff, I've gone back and listened to pretty much every one of your brain game episodes. (laughs) That's awesome. There's a lot of those episodes, and I'm glad you went back. I mean, that's like a master's course in the brain game of sport performance. So good on you. But Sammy goes on to say, when I was an athlete, I had anxiety. It was kind of like a real strong, nervous feeling. You talk about the brain game and how we're at a new age here. How does that change how we deal with nervousness or anxiety? My daughter is just starting club volleyball and she's getting the nerves, as she calls it, just like I did. Thanks in advance. Sammy, thanks for the question. It's a big one, the brain game. I am so excited about this area of sport and human performance. We are now at a point, as I've mentioned before, where we can map, monitor and train the brain in real time, like never before in the history of mankind. We are on the cusp, I believe on a new age of human performance. And this is where the biggest potential is. What I've learned is that we have way more control over this thing than we ever realized. Now, I can't suggest anything specific for your daughter because there's just so many variables involved. We'd have to actually be with her and get to know her and figure out what's going on for sure. But this stuff is real. And we do have strategies for dealing with it and managing it, even turning it into an advantage, as you probably heard on some of our Brain Game episodes. However, conversations with your athletes can go a long way. Getting back to that very simple, but all powerful exercise of writing down that list of what you control and what you don't control. It's a great exercise here. And talking about the art of failure and how to capitalize on it, it can also be a powerful perspective for athletes. Learning from it all in order to move forward. Also learning from successes to move forward. Game planning, identifying your goals and objectives for that practice or game. I mean, clearly identifying them, writing them down and even starting to journal can all be really, really helpful. Another great tool that doesn't get used all that often is the debrief, positive debriefs after a game or practice, breaking down what happened and what needs to happen next time. That's learning. This stuff should probably come from a coach more than a parent, but if the athlete initiates the process, it can be a great habit to get into, and it needs to be tough sometimes, but never negative. Remember, it's easy to criticize, and that's typically the default that people have, is to go negative and criticize a performance or somebody else's performance, and there's very little good that comes from criticism. A good, solid, even hard critique, however, now we're talking, breaking it all down, good and bad, and coming out with a positive perspective and game plan for the next steps. This is such a great way to go about getting control, taking ownership and putting things into perspective. Now, to be clear, this stuff is very real. Anxiety and stress. We know more about these conditions now than we've ever known. And I know beyond a doubt that it can be debilitating. I've witnessed it firsthand. So if you feel it's getting to a point where your athlete just can't manage it anymore, Get help. There are incredible experts out there who really know about this stuff. And again, I'll put it out there. If you need this kind of help, reach out to me. I know some of the greatest people in the world of sport when it comes to this stuff. We'll find a way to help you or your athlete. And I mean it. Reach out. Info at JeffKershell.com. Sammy. Thanks for that question. There are so many people out there who are in the very same situation. And also, thanks for taking such an interest in the Crush brain game. That means a lot to me personally. We use these concepts and strategies each and every day with our athletes, teams, and organizations because they work. I guess it comes back around to that idea that nobody does it alone, not in sport or in life. Development and performance is a constant process of reacting and adapting to everything that's going on around you. And When you get stuck or when you hit that proverbial wall, get some help. Find those special people who you can trust and talk to, those people you can go to for guidance and to get help along the way. That's when you've set yourself up to really find out how far you can go and how good you can actually become because no one can do it alone. And that, my friends, is the very essence of creating coachable players. I'm Jeff Kershaw. The Crush Performance Podcast is recorded right here in the Crush Studios. Our distribution partner is Radio Influence Digital Media. Website and educational material produced and directed by Debbie Cruschel, Miss Crusher. Our theme music, graphics, and video design by Noah Alexen at Nolexan Visual and Sound. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance.